I'm Dr. Terry Fisher, a physician and voice technology futurist in Vancouver, Canada. Voice First Technology is rapidly becoming the operating system of our lives, and it will completely revolutionize the way we experience healthcare. Let's talk voice. Voice First Health. The future of health is voice. Well, hello, and welcome to episode number three of Voice First Health. Uh, it gives me great pleasure to bring this podcast to you. And today, uh, on the day of the Voice of Healthcare Summit in Boston, uh, we are launching this podcast. And if you haven't listened to episodes one and two yet, episode one was an introduction to what is exactly Voice First Health. Episode two was an interview with Rowena Track, who is the Global Vice President of Digital Channel and Partner Marketing at Cigna. And one of the uh, keynote speakers at the Voice of Healthcare Summit. And now episode three is with Ilana Shalowitz, who is the VUI Design Manager at Emmy, And she also is one of the keynote speakers at the Voice of Healthcare Summit. So I thought it'd be a wonderful way to kick off this podcast with the two keynote speakers at this uh, inaugural event, the Voice of Healthcare Summit. And it's an opportunity for you to hear more from these keynote speakers. And if you didn't get a chance to get out to the uh, to the summit, then you have a chance to listen to these two excellent speakers. Now let's talk about Alana. She is the VUI Design Manager at Emmy. She quickly is becoming a leading authority in the world of voice-first technology as far as voice user interface design. Uh, she is on the forefront of voice user interface design and healthcare, being part of Emmy which of course is part of Walter's Kluwer. And uh, it gives me great pleasure to introduce uh, Ilana Shalowitz on this podcast. We talk about you know, the elements that go behind a good voice user interface design. She talks about what makes a good voice uh, interaction. And she talks about how she goes about uh, designing these interactions and researching these interactions. So there's a lot of great takeaways here if you are at all interested in how to create an effective dialogue between uh two parties essentially somebody in healthcare and a patient two healthcare providers and so on so uh, without any further ado it gives me absolute pleasure to welcome Ilana Shalowitz to the podcast thank you for being here and I was wondering if you could start off by telling the listeners a little bit about you and your story and um, how you got to where you are today Thank you for having me. I'm the voice user interface design manager at Emmy, and I send outbound automated phone calls on behalf of uh, healthcare teams. So if you get one of my outreaches, you'll pick up your phone, you'll see that, oh, it's your doctor calling, and then we'll have a personalized interactive message for you that can take place at one point in time, or let's say something more complex medically is going on, like you've just been discharged from the hospital. Uh, we'll call you over... Um, a series of phone calls to transfer information back to your care team about how you're de- doing, and then also uh, give you messages about how to recover uh, speedily from whatever is going on. What's your What's your background? How did you get into this? Yeah, so I've always been interested in uh, communication for behavior change, mm-hmm. and so I studied anthropology and psychology and got a master's in marketing communications. Uh, after working in marketing, I really uh, found a passion for design. And one of my friends in my singing group said, oh, hey, there's this designer position open at my company. You should see if you like it. And so I interviewed and um, I've I've loved it ever since, since day one. Oh, wow. So, so really, you're, as far as the voice technology side of things, you're 
um, I guess your entry to it was through Emmy and this work that you're doing now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I would say the skills that carry through from some of my other experiences, uh, for example, in marketing, you think about what are the different, uh, instead of users or people, they'll say, what is the customer journey or what are the, what are the touch points that you have, um, with your customers and then thinking about mapping that out, uh, to the to the behavior change that you want at the end there, and then I was also writing for um, a hospital, so I know how to put complex medical information into plain language as well. And now here you are uh, leading the design team with the voice user interface, and so that's what you do now. You are the the VUI, or I understand you you call that VUI. <laughs> I heard on another podcast. Exactly, exactly, Vui. Vui you want to sound like an insider. <laughs> All right, for, I'm going to use that lots now in this podcast. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the Vui design manager at Emmy. And you said, so you are in charge of the team that is creating these voice interactions between patients and automated systems or healthcare providers. Can you give us a couple of examples of how that's being used in a clinical setting now, just so I think the listeners have an idea of what, what's What's a, what, you, what you can do with this technology? Uh, when you think about the U.S. healthcare system, there are two things that our clients are looking to do. One is decrease costs, and the second is increase revenue. So we help our clients decrease costs by what they're calling labor arbitrage. So instead of staff members sitting there calling each patient, um, some of them they won't be able to reach, they'll have to try multiple times, that sort of a thing. Um, our automated system is able to reach out into their entire patient population. So they save on staff costs there. And then we're also able to identify which patients are in need of specialized help. So if a patient responds, maybe they're having trouble picking up their medication, then the staff is able to see exactly which patient needs help with their medication and direct the appropriate resources to resolve that for them. Um, so in addition to reducing costs in, in terms of staff staff hours and then showing which patients actually need help, we also increase revenue. So depending on the reimbursement structures, there can be a fee-for-service model or a fee-for-value model. So sometimes the fee-for-service the fee-for-service model is the number of patients that come into your office um, that's going to drive your revenues up. So if we call a thousand people and get 500 people scheduled for their exams, revenue goes up. Um, then fee for value, the U.S. healthcare system is switching more to valuing the, the quality of care. And for our transition series, for those series of phone calls over time, uh, patients who engage with our calls are less likely to be readmitted to the hospital. And that's a real of real value to our clients because um, the way the reimbursement structures work is that they'll they'll get dinged if if patients do return to the hospital. So this is also re- um, resulting in cost savings. And like you said, it, it, it's, you physically wouldn't be able to call every single patient. A physician wouldn't do that, but your service seems to be able to provide that. So that's that's really neat. That's fantastic. Yeah, and it's about reaching the patients using that automated technology uh, that voice allows to reach patients at all sorts of touch points during their continuum of care. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So I was going to sort of bring this back to now, um, so voice in general. So being that this is the Voice First Health podcast, I'm curious now, the reason I wanted to have you on this is because you are quickly uh, becoming one of the leaders uh, in the Voice First technology, uh, in the in the voice user interface design 
world. And I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about the the principles and the, I guess, what people need to think about when they are uh, considering creating a skill or action or any voice user interface, as as your expertise will, will speak to. Um, but how does somebody, where would you start with that? Like, what, that's, that's, I know it's a big, broad question, but what are some things that people need to consider when it comes to creating a good voice user interface? Yeah, so day one, I'd start like, I would start an endeavor into anything, which is understanding what is the lay of the land. So what is the context? What are, uh, how did these systems evolve and how are they being used um, and what sorts of tools do you have to play with? So I'd recommend reading um, a nice overview book Kathy Pearl just published, which is Designing Voice User Interfaces. Um, And then there's um, the book that I think all voice user interface uh, designers read, which is voice user interface design. It has a picture of Rex on the, on the cover there. And I say that because Kathy gives a really nice overview of the different ways that voice are being used in the industry, uh, independent of what sort of assistant it is, and going into the details of how those interfaces are constructed. Um, So once you have a lay of the land, I would start playing around. Is it Storyline, the name of that company, where you can... um, where you can design an interface without coding. That's right. Yeah, that's true. there's a couple other ones, or at least there's, there's one other one at least that I know of as well, but you're right, Storyline is one of those. Yeah. Yeah, so I played around with that a bit, and if you can start building, um, it'll be awkward at first, just like learning any new skill, but you can start to understand how that ecosystem works. At the same time, I would spend time owning one-year conversational skills, Um in, in thinking about how conversation works. And you can look at linguistic books, but I would really listen to conversations. Um, listen to, go to a cafe and listen to your neighbor's conversations, see how it evolves, see how people are using language. And I'm not talking about what is the topic they're discussing. I'm talking about um, while we may avoid ending sentences with a preposition when we're writing official documents, so it, that's fairly normal for people to communicate using uh, when, when we're speaking to each other. So look for things like that. Um, and the other thing is turn your senses on for uh, what makes a good um, auditory experience. And um, a fun thing some, some people may want to consider is going on to LibriVox. And uh, so LibriVox is a site where anybody can record books that have been released into the public domain. So if you listen, it's amateur amateur voice actors, and you can start to listen to what is making a good experience and what stands out is what is making a bad experience too. How might you coach this person so that it sounds more pleasing to to your ear? And the great thing is that all of us are, are born with with this ability to sense what is the tone of somebody's voice, what are they conveying um, through their choice of words, but it's so ingrained in in our own analysis that sometimes it's hard to sort of reverse engineer that and identify the exact point. So, so doing a lot of listening. After this sort of a playing around stage when, when somebody is ready to make a skill or an action in earnest, I would, I would recommend talking talking to people first. 
because if you just design something in a vacuum without talking to your users or people and seeing how people would interact with this thing, then you're just designing it for yourself, which is fine if you want to do that. Um, But I would really recommend talking. You can, it's even better to talk to your friends, talk to your family and get some user input before, before designing. And so do you mean sort of talk to them about the idea or talk to them as if you are the, the skill that you're developing and see the way they respond to you? Yeah, it's both. So one is figuring out what is a strategic direction that you should take with the skill. There is, if you're, there are different functionalities that different people are going to expect when they're interacting with with anything, whether that be a voice user interface or a graphical user interface. Um, different people are going to expect different things, and it's good to get those expectations and identify the user needs that that your skill can address so that it's successful. Um, So there's that one, that strategic approach. And then the second one is uh, something that voice user user interface designers do is called Wizard of Oz testing. And that's having the conversation as if the um, uh, interface were live uh, to, to simulate that conversation, to identify what sorts of quirks pop up in that conversation that you can better account for to create a better user experience overall. And so, I mean, I guess with both things, it's good to test it before you kind of dive right into it so you know that you're developing something that, uh, I guess, A, is going to be uh, useful, but B, is also going to be hopefully more more uh, more efficient, more functional, and, and help to get the outcome that you want. So. Yeah, and other designers might have a different opinion on this, but to me, it's worth narrowing the scope of of what you're trying to design and have that be an excellent experience for your users rather than trying to do too much at once and then risk losing your user base because it doesn't perform as, as promised. Now, are there, um, like, are there specific uh, pieces of designing a good uh, voice user interface that you can speak of? I know uh, um, uh, I read a blog post that you had done a little while back and you talked about some, uh, I'm not sure what you refer to them as entities or, or different components, things like, um, cognitive load and prompts and I don't know if you can speak to those things a little bit and maybe define some of the important ones for us. Sure we can think about entities as the importance important nuggets of information that somebody is trying to convey. So in in the way that we speak there are a lot of I they have their purpose but there are a lot of filler filler words if you're thinking about accomplishing a task. One of the examples that is frequently used among voice designers is booking a flight. And so if you think about, I would like to go to Boston, mm-hmm. um, what's really the important piece of information there that the system needs to know is probably Boston, that, that city name, and then identifying that as destination. And thinking about how you're going to map out um, identifying those key pieces of, of information. So you can see that in the in the interfaces that Google and Amazon have built for designing skills to pull out those those pieces of information. So once you've identified that and um, and mapped out that conversation, then you can refine it further to think about um, how are we asking for that information from the user? What sort of language are we using? Um, what, what is the brand voice that we would like to use to convey that information? Um, and part of that analysis is what you what you mentioned is cognitive load. So h- how much how effortful is it for the user to 
one, understand your question, mm -hmm. and two, answer it. And the same goes if whether it's a, a question or information. Think about uh, things like parallel sentence structure um, is, is really helpful. Or sometimes storytelling techniques, instead of listing... Um, listing information that they should know, actually tying that information together into one cohesive chunk um, can be really useful. And then what we were talking about before in, that's tied to uh, cognitive load, which is listenability. How easy is it for somebody to comprehend this auditory experience? So uh, obviously an experienced designer like yourself is going to be thinking about all of these types of things when you're designing what the device or Alexa or whatever it is that you're working on is going to respond to the user. Exactly. And then it all comes together in sort of a, a, a textured tapestry. Designing a voice user interface, I, I find it's a lot like, um, like music um, or, or art. You see how different textures of words appear next to each other. How does this um, how does this question sound next to the other question or this piece of information uh, sound next to this other piece of information and what is their relative value compared to each other and what is the overall experience that you're that you're orchestrating oh I like that I like that analogy to to the uh, to music I'm a musician so I can relate to that I'm trying to think this may be difficult to answer but when you say like how does one sentence sound compared to another it's maybe hard to articulate, but is there something in particular that you're that you would look for when you examining that aspect of the of the design? So when I design my conversations, we have a we have a staging environment where we can test how the experience sounds, and that's after the voice actor has recorded what we've written, um, and so it's she records them independently of one another, but all of our designers go through the entire experience to see how one audio file sounds next to another audio file. So even if in isolation, each file sounded nice and smooth, if you put one next to another, it may sound um, too harsh or too smooth or um, too short or very lengthy uh, in comparison. And so going through that user, that experience yourself and um, turning all your, your sensors on um, to, to see how each is feeling and how, how again, it totals in that some experience. Oh, okay, that, that, that's great. That gives me an, an idea of it because now I can picture if I was having a conversation with somebody and they're, they're going along through the regular, um, I'm not sure what the word is, but just the, the flow of their conversation. All of a sudden, they say something that just seems out of character or out of place given the flow of that conversation, I imagine that is sort of the feeling that you would give to the user if, you know, if it wasn't designed appropriately. Exactly. Um, so it's that, wait, what right. feeling? Um, we were on a path, we were on a path together and we had a, uh, some sort of rapport going. We had a common language that we were building. We were moving at a certain speed and then, and then you came in with, something that just disrupts the whole process. And when you're thinking about a voice user interface too, um, that that last um, that last rapport building will be gone and all that somebody will be left with is this strange feeling of maybe being disoriented in in the situation that you describe. Um, and they may lose 
their train of thought for for what they were supposed to to act on or what you were even talking about. Uh, so the stakes are are quite high to have um, a continuous conversation that that's a pleasant experience for for the user. Sure. Now you mentioned something else that I that I, I just want to speak about as well a little bit. You mentioned rapport building because I imagine that building rapport with a user is extremely important in terms of the person continuing to interact with that device or, or the voice technology, whatever that is. Um, so how do you build rapport through voice technology with somebody when they're not talking to a real person? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. When people interact with anything, they have to know what they're interacting with. So there are certain expectations where you um, approach any sort of relationship, be that with um, with a bank teller or a, a person you haven't met at a party or with a friend who you have this established rapport with. And so you have to think about how are you going to present yourself and then think about what are the implicit promises that you're making to the user uh, and then continue to deliver on those. And that comes out through brand persona. It comes out through the complexity of your your technology. Are you over-promising what you can do and under-delivering and so they can expect to be frustrated when they talk to you? Or are you setting expectations about what your system is capable of and uh, people come in expecting that interaction? And then what you'll get is you'll get if you have a good experience, if you have a positive rapport building, then you'll have people continue to approach you and um, and that be really efficient. Something I've noticed on Alexa as a, as a growth area for them is they're, sometimes they're inconsistent about ways that you can ask for certain functionality. Um, or ways that they deliver back information. So you you might have asked for pieces of information one and two, and they deliver the information two and one. So that to me uh, fosters mistrust in the system because I don't know exactly how to interact with it. I feel like it's uh, training me on the interaction rather than uh, being consistent in in what it's delivering to me. If I'm hearing you correctly, basically the rapport, I mean, it's not just one thing. It's, it's lots. It's, it's how are you developing trust with the device. But it really comes from almost everything that we've been talking about. How, how conversational is it? How, um, how is the flow of the conversation? Um, and I guess, do you have experience with sort of personalizing the, the interaction? Do you use the person's name? Do you do that sort of thing as well? Yeah, so uh, all of our calls start with uh, patient confirmation. So, hi, this is... Our, our sample hospital calling for for Terry is this Terry, and then you'll say, yes, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so that uh, that introduction has um, we have that in, introduction for two reasons. One is to protect the patient's health information uh, before we go into the message about their health, and the second one is because we're establishing legitimacy. Uh, mentioning where we're calling from and also personalizing the interaction, saying that this call is meant for you, for you in particular and, and no one else. Right. Um, something you have to be careful about is did the, did the user give you that information to use or what is your source of information? So for, for us, a patient 
can understand why their doctor would have their name. But if you have a skill that um, a user is interacting with for the first time, they might be suspicious of where you're pulling that data from if you've never spoken before and all of a sudden it knows your name. Ah, uh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I almost imagine you have to really put yourself in the shoes of the person across from the user, like you said, at a coffee shop, having an interaction, and what would you naturally be saying? Is that kind of a fair guide to go by when someone designs it? Yeah, exactly. And again, we were coming back to the importance of user research, because if you're going to put yourself in the shoes of the other of the other conversation partner and have it be widely applicable to any range of conversation partners, uh, you have to you have to know uh, what what range is out there. And that's not something that you can understand from sitting at your desk. You can maybe after years take a, have a pretty good hunch. Um what users are going to say, but even now after after years of interacting with patients, I'm still surprised by some ways that they respond to us. Now, are there um, specific obstacles or common mistakes that people make, uh, things that they should watch out for when they're getting started with this? User research, I'll say, I'll say it again. Okay. Um, not, <laughs> yeah. not talking to enough people um, to, again, figure out how they should be, how they should be constructing what what they're making, and that can that's a part, a solid part of the overall design process. Whether you're doing a voice user interface or a graphical user interface, uh, it always starts with user research. Going back to the user research, um, and then the other thing that I mentioned earlier about overpromising and underdelivering, uh, it, it's so important to right size what what you're making for to create a positive experience for the user that they'll want to come back to. So um, what if somebody has been listening to our conversation and they're really inspired and they like the idea of voice uh, user interface or VUI design? Um, what kind of advice could you give to a person like that who might be thinking that maybe they're interested in exploring this more as a, as a career? I'd uh, start by joining the voice user interface design community, whether that's reading uh, reading up on the news articles, connecting with people uh, in the community, and um, seeing what's out there for you. Uh, probably you'll be coming from a different field, and that's something that I love. I love the diversity in voice user interface designers, and use use that interdisciplinary background uh, to your advantage because we we need that in the field. Um, and beyond connecting with voice designers, um, I would recommend building a skill and, and seeing how far you can take it yourself so that when you go into interviews, you have uh, something to show them. And you mentioned like interdisciplinary backgrounds. That's great. Are there certain backgrounds that you that you, think are even more relevant or is it really kind of anything you're looking and you would look for a wide variety of backgrounds? So different teams are structured differently. My team, each designer is a strong both writer and designer, but some other teams have writers on staff. Um, so I'd, it's really good for people who are systems thinkers, who are into the, the nitty gritty of how conversation unfolds. Um, and that can come from, uh, we have a playwright on staff, I mentioned marketing, or it just, you know, it's not really about the, the background, it's about the type of, type of thinker you are, so really from anywhere. 
Great, great. So as you know, and as the listeners of the podcast know, the aspect of voice and healthcare uh, fascinates me. And we're sort of at this intersection between healthcare and voice. And uh, as as you know, as the listeners know, this is very, very early technology. Um, and it's very exciting. Uh, I'm just wondering if you can speak to a little bit about what do you see as sort of the outlook for voice technology, um, how that relates to, to healthcare? Yeah, if we think about the way that healthcare is headed, which is, at least in the U.S., keeping whole populations healthy, uh, voice is really at the intersection of what we call population health. And then um, I'm going to take a take a term that other people are using, which is personalized medicine. So usually that's looking into somebody's genetic makeup to uh, recommend certain treatments for them. But I think of personalized medicine in, in this instance of can we deliver this personalized experience for each individual to achieve maximum health while and while we're doing that, reaching out to individuals with these um, really specific uh, health uh, health topics and messages and tips and that sort of a thing, and bringing the population uh, to a healthier state overall. That's a really exciting um, frontier for, for voice and healthcare. And I totally agree with you. Uh, it's really exciting where I think we're going to be uh, in healthcare and voice technology over the next couple of years. I'm really looking forward to seeing what all of these bright people, yourself included, are up to with voice and healthcare and what that's going to mean for our population and society. I want to say a big thank you to Ilana for spending some of your time with us. It was a real pleasure to interview you and have you on the podcast for this third episode of Voice First Health. Uh, And particularly because, as I said at the outset, you are one of the uh, keynote speakers at the Voice of Healthcare Summit, which of course is happening the day this podcast goes live. So uh, Ilana, please tell the listeners how they can find out a little bit more about you and what you're up to. Yeah, I'll give you my email to put on your on your website with the notes. Um, and then also people can contact me on LinkedIn or look what our team is up to on at Walters Kluwer Health. Wonderful, Alana. So again, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. And I look forward to uh, following up with you at some point in the future and seeing uh, what you're up to with regard to your excellent uh, voice user interface design. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. So again, a huge thank you to Ilana uh, for taking time to join us on the show. Uh, she uh, truly is one of the leaders in voice user interface design, as you can hear. Um, and I hope she doesn't mind. I'll be asking her a number of questions uh, as I get into trying to develop some uh, skills of my own. Uh, please make sure to check out uh, the links that she mentioned. Everything will be on the show notes page at voicefirsthealth.com slash three for this third episode. And I will have links, like I said, to everything that uh, we talked about on the podcast. So until next week, uh, enjoy. Try to put some of these tips and tricks that Ilana was speaking about into practice. Uh, This concludes the launch day of uh, this podcast, Voice First Health. Thank you for joining me. Uh, Make sure you have subscribed. Uh, I'm going to do my very best to bring you leaders and influencers and some of the brightest minds in the healthcare and voice first intersection. That is my mission with this. And I want to help all of us to help society through the voice technology that I believe is going to revolutionize uh, healthcare. So until next week, uh, I will talk to you soon.